Welcome to the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Peter C. Bruce, Director of the Resampling Project at the University of Maryland, and Julian L. Simon, Professor of Business Administration at the University of Maryland, present the history and ramifications of the new statistics of resampling. We hope you enjoy today's episode, and don't forget to subscribe to the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Julian, what are the chances of getting, uh, if you have four births in a row, what are the chances of getting three girls in those first four births? Well, let's imagine ourselves in a classroom of people, anywhere from graduate students at Stanford to a bunch of seven, seven seventh graders. And we throw that question at them. And the first thing that happens is somebody begins to scratch a formula. And we look at that formula, it's clearly wrong. So I then say to them, uh, but what's the answer? What are the chances of getting three girls in the first four births? Well, what do people say when, when you're asking them? <laughs> well, they'll just sit there numb for a while. And then I'll say to them, I'll tell you what, see that door over there? In one hour, somebody is going to come through that door. And if we can come up with a pretty good answer, that person's going to give us $1,000 for the biggest class party you ever saw. They're still numb, or are they? Well, now they begin to start thinking. And somebody says, oh, let's go out and have four kids. Well, that's a wonderful first step. It's an experimental approach to the problem, which says, let's go out and get some data. That's good scientific thinking. But then somebody else says, wait a minute, he's coming through the door in an hour. It's going to, uh, it's going to take us longer than that to have four kids. So somebody else may say, why don't we go out and get, take a sample, take a survey of families that have four kids and see what proportion of them have exactly three girls. Now, these are things that have been suggested by the students, right? These are not words you're putting into their mouths? No, 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 no. This, this, this comes right out of them, spontaneously. And you frequently get the same responses from different groups of, of students? Uh, or you'll, well, you'll get... <laughs> give me a chance for a second. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, um, we do. But to some extent, we draw these things out of people because we've learned that frequently they do come out this way. So somebody else says, let's go out and get a sample of um, a survey of a bunch of families who have three of four kids. Well, that's very good also. That's even better scientific thinking. It puts these people on the right road to important statistical procedures, which means get some data. But that's still going to take you some time. So I say, is there something else we can do? Wonderful that though that is, is there something we can do here? And sooner or later, somebody is going to say, Let's flip a coin. And I said, well, why flip a coin? And that person says, well, isn't having a boy or a girl kind of like flipping a coin? And somebody else says, but wait a minute, aren't more boys born than girls? That's true, 106 boys to 106 girls. So is a coin a good approximation to the birth of a boy or a girl? Terrific question. So we've got to go back and ask, what is our purpose? So important in all statistical investigation. So we say, what does that person who's coming through the door want to know? In fact, that's probably where we should have started probably, the story. That's absolutely We probably should have started there by asking that person, why do you want to know? What's your purpose? Let's assume the purpose of that person is to make baby clothes. He wants to know to what, how many sets of three should he make? So therefore, would 50-50 be a good enough approximation to 106 to 100? Yes. So get that person up here. Come on up here. You do it. That person gets up here and says, okay, everybody, get, get out a coin and flip it four times. And somebody else says, but wait a minute, don't we want to flip four coins once? 
Well, what would you do about that, Peter? At that point, what would you say? Is there any difference between those two things? How can we find out? Uh, try them both, I guess. Try them both, exactly. So you, you play the class now, I'll play the class later for you. Um, so we do it. We flip four coins once. And the class, if we have 50 people there, we have some estimate of the proportion of those families who have three girls, and exactly three girls and the four children. Terrific. But somebody else says, wait a minute, if we did this again, would we get exactly the same result? So what's the answer to that? Again. Try it, Try it again. Try it again. A refrain that you'll keep hearing, I guess. Uh, it's a refrain we keep hearing. And it's a wonderful refrain. We, we try it again to find out. And we find out it's somewhat different. But we see that it's in the same general, general ballpark. So we are onto something. We've got a good method here. At that point, what happens? Peter, you trot out that very fast coin flipper, don't you? What do you do about it then? Well, what's a fast coin flipper this day and age is a computer. But uh, it's, it's very easy to go from flipping it once to flipping it four times to flipping it 50 times and it's even easier on the, the computer so we do that in, in class and the best thing about going to the computer is that students will have tried it out and then can understand exactly what it is that the computer is doing for them right they can see the connection between the actual flipping operations with their hand and modeling exactly the same thing on the computer so we then produce a first rate estimate of the probability of getting three girls and four children. Simply and by doing it again and again and again, again, again and, and, again, and, and again. selecting the proper model to estimate the probability. Now we've gone to a very specific question here. We've started right out with a nuts and bolts but, question. But this one is illustrative of our entire method of resampling. We should say, by the way, that we are talking about the new statistics, the statistics of resampling that does all problems in probability and statistics without any formulae, without any tables, without anything that you cannot understand immediately, whether you're a seventh grader or a, a graduate student at Stanford. That's right, you may have missed if you've, if you've been going over this procedure that nowhere in there does there come any sort of mathematical formula to solve the problem, and yet we get an answer. Uh, and an answer as good as in- As we want to make it. As we want to make it, absolutely. Now you've been at this uh, longer than I have. Um, how did you, Tell, can you tell a little bit about how, what brought you to doing this method of uh, statistics rather than the traditional uh, mathematical method? Well, it was 1967, and I was teaching a little class of four graduate students in marketing. And they were doing research problems, research papers, and um, every single one of the four used the wrong statistical method. You think that's unusual? That uh... No, it wasn't unusual. And remember, it wasn't even unusual. These students had all had several courses in statistics. And each of them wanted to choose a sophisticated, complicated method that would impress everybody. And all they got out of it was the wrong method, the wrong answer. So I thought there must be a better way. And the better way is that if if we can if we can model, if we can simulate, if we can replicate the actual situation we're interested in, in some way with symbols, we can manipulate those symbols 
and get an answer to what we want to know. Just as with the three girls and four children, we set up a coin as a symbol for a boy or a girl instead of using a formula. So that was the beginning of it, and that has led to where we're sitting right now, trying to um, communicate this method, trying to put this tool in the hands of a billion people worldwide. But, but why should people be interested in, in this all in the first place? To a lot of people, the, the notion of statistics either brings up Mark Twain's uh, famous quote about it being the third of the, the highest degree of a form of lying, or else people remember statistics as an extremely painful college experience that uh, the best thing they can do with it is get it out of the way and never remember it again. Um, why, besides answering some of these specific questions, why is probability important to people well, or people, statistics Peter, in general? How about you answering that with a dramatic illustration of the relationship of statistical and probabilistic thinking to the Challenger shuttle disaster? Do you want to tell that story? Sure. The, uh, the Challenger shuttle was the uh, space shuttle that exploded about a minute after launch. Uh, I can't remember. remember when it was. It was several years ago, but it threw the whole space program uh, into a big delay because of the difficulties they encountered. And what had happened in the, in the shuttle accident was that because of the low temperature of the launch, the flexible O-rings that seal the various chambers had frozen up or gotten stiff and failed to contain the gases that were supposed to be in those chambers and allowed them to escape from one chamber to another and the thing blew up. And the, uh, the interesting thing was that the engineers and managers were aware before the shuttle was launched that cold temperatures might play a role in causing the O-rings to freeze up and might cause this accident. And in fact, they had data on previous accidents. And I brought a graph here with me to show. In fact, they looked at the cases where they had had accidents in the past, and they found that they tried to establish what a relationship might be between launch temperature and the uh, incidence of a failure in this O-ring. And they found that there was one launch at 55 degrees with three failures and a couple of launches in the mid-50s. But in general, looking at this graph, they could not establish that there was any pattern that the lower the temperature, the greater the risk of failure. And so after much discussion back and forth, they decided to proceed with the launch. Well, after this whole story came out, we took a look at, well, other statisticians took a look at the whole story not just the launches that had had difficulty, but the launches that hadn't had difficulty uh, as well. And when you include those in the analysis, you find that they're all up here at the high temperature end of the range. And it illustrates very clearly that there is a greater tendency for O-ring failure at the lower temperatures down here than there is at the higher temperatures where all the successful launches without O-ring problems occurred. Well, that's a spectacular difference between those two diagrams. And the, the reason we bring this up is that uh, this information was available, but the people interpreting it didn't know how to proceed in a statistically thinking fashion, into model their statistical thinking, to correctly come up with the answer here. So for deficient statistical analysis, they drew the conclusion that going off at a low temperature was not likely to be so dangerous, sent the Challenger shuttle up, and it blew up. That's right. 
Statistics came into the analysis in other fashions as well, though, didn't it? Uh, didn't they use probabilistic thinking and thinking about the O-rings themselves? Yes, I believe that there was some assumption that the probability that one O-ring would fail was not dependent on whether a previous O-ring trying to insulate the system had also failed. Uh, and in fact, those two things were related, and the second O-ring did not constitute as much of a guaranteed backup as they thought, because obviously if, the temp if a low temperature is going to affect one set of O-rings, it's going to also affect another set of O-rings, and if one fails, the likelihood that another fails is no longer going to be independent of whether the first failed or not. So what happened here was that because they um, uh, didn't see the connection or didn't properly pay attention to the connection between one O-ring failing and the probability that another O-ring failed, they therefore miscalculated the probability that there would be any failure at all. And because of that, also they arrived at unsound conclusions about the chance that the ch challenger would blow up. They ended up underestimating the probability yeah. that the rings uh, could fail. So statistical analysis here, uh, in this case deficient statistical analysis, was one of the strongest causes of the Challenger shuttle mm -hmm. tragedy. Uh, illustrating your point, the centrality of statistical thinking in business, in medicine, in everyday life, in every sports. place, in sports. Uh, statistics is not a subject you can pass an exam for in your, high, in your college course and then put the book away and not, not think about it again. Unfortunately, the way it's taught in many schools is that's what ends up what's happening because people can't see the connection between these arcane and complex things that they're trying to learn in their classroom with the decisions that they actually have to make in the real world, whether it's on a football field or a baseball diamond or in an engineering uh, facility. And here, of course, is one of the great contributions of resampling the new statistics that people, that each person begins their statistical analysis right from the foundations by modeling as closely as possible the real situation out there without formulas coming into it, without the hope and the prayer that some formula you learned in, a, in school or that you find in a book is the right formula. Uh, get rid of all that stuff. We're able then, therefore, to, to see what is going on and to make a sound assessment. And therefore, we are less likely to make the really important kind of error, which is choosing the wrong procedure. Now, one of the most important uses of statistics is to be able to make decisions when, in fact, you have very limited amounts of data. And most people don't fully realize uh, the extent to which they are willing to take small amounts of information and leap to conclusions ah, yes. from that. Now, just the other day, there was a story about uh, taxi problems in, in Washington, and I know um, there had been periodic stories in the paper over the, over the years of the terrible state that Washington's uh, taxis. Well, let me get specifics. I remember the newspaper stories. Um, there was a story by Bob Levy, a columnist in the Washington Post, and he said um, there was an Atlantic, Atlanta columnist, Lou Grizzard, who came up here and took four taxis and got three bad rides and went down there and wrote a story telling how the Washington taxi drivers are the worst in the world. 
So I, that is Levy, decided I'd try it out myself and uh, went out there and took a bunch of ca cab rides in Washington. Terrible. Went down to Atlanta, took cab rides and found that the five rides I took in Atlanta, they were all peachy as can be in a peach state. So it's true. The Washington cab drivers and, uh, and the cabs are the worst in the world. What was his evidence for this? His evidence for this was five cab rides. Now, does this illustrate your point about the size of the sample and the variability, Peter? Yes. The, the, uh, the sample in here was only five rides. And uh, very often in the world, you'll get tremendous variation from one set of five rides to another set of five rides, or five anything, actually. Well, you get vari variation, first of all, because it's such a small sample. Right. But second of all, in this case, you would have gotten uh, lots of variation because who knows how those rides were chosen. They certainly exactly. were not chosen in any kind of a representative uh, fashion. How, how, it's an interesting question. If we wanted to get a representative sample of taxi rides in Washington or any other city, how would we go about it? It's well, not an know, easy problem. All these courses in statistics start off with, let's take a random sample, or mm -hmm. even in, in broader experience, you say, let's take a sample of something. And when you actually get down to pencil and paper to try to prescribe instructions for somebody on how to take a sample, it's not easy at all. No, it's not. But insufficient samples and insufficient information are very often used by people for their own purposes. In the particular case of the taxi industry, people will go out and say, I had a bad cab ride, we have terrible cabs. What we really should do is to put in some legislation, reduce the number of taxis on the road, reduce the number of taxi drivers. Well, very often there's a political agenda here. Clearly, if you restrict the amount of competition, you can push the prices up. And people will use this very insufficient evidence, insufficient because it's unrepresentative, insufficient because the samples are small, in the arguments for their own purposes. Whereas if we were able somehow or other to put their feet to the fire and force them to do um, uh, satisfactory statistical analysis, it would not be so easy for people to um, run away with these kinds of political agendas which run contrary to the evidence. Let's take another resampling example, though, the kind of thing that we might do in class, whether this is a class of PhDs or whether it's a class of eighth graders. And let, let's take an example which is interesting because it runs all against people's intuition. You go into a room and you say to people, or even better, you go to a bar drink, I'll bet there are 25 people in this bar. I'll bet there's somebody, I bet there are two people here on the same birthday. It's oh, you're out of your mind, man. What's the chance of what's the chance that two people at the same bar in the same bar room if there are only 25 people there would have the same birthday? You ask a bunch of people and you'll get answers one in a hundred, one in two hundred. You'll even get people saying one, one in, in a thousand, thousand even though there are only 365 possibilities. So how could we find out what the chances are that two people or more out of 25 would have the same birthday that is the same month and day. How, how might we go about that using, well, if we were going to do this using the conventional method. I remember hearing you first present this problem and I scratched my head and I started dredging up this uh, 
long series of multiplications and, and divisions to, to figure out the answer to this while you, while you were presenting the uh, resampling approach. And I thought, gee, this is something completely different from what I was taught. But uh, Well, if you were taught it, you probably were taught it in an advanced class someplace, because this is the kind of thing which usually is taught in, in the third or fourth class in mathematical statistics, and then half the students get the answer wrong in the examination. So how should we, how should we go about it? Well, let's suppose we tried to simulate it with a hat full of birthdays. Um, that's the way I would do it. You write down a number for each birthday on a piece of paper. Uh, one through, you could write January 1, January 2, but an easier way to do it would be to write 1, 2, 3, on up through 365. We're not doing a leap year here. Put all the birthdays in a hat, and then we're just going to take a sample, because that's the basis of this new approach in statistics, is to resample. Take a sample from the hat of birthdays. Um, and how many people were in the bar? 25 people right, in the so bar. There were 25 people in the bar, so we've got to take 25 birthdays from the hat. Wait, let's, let's go back over this again. You say we're going to take a hat here and throw 365 pieces of paper into the hat. Exactly so. Each one with a number from 1 to 365 to right. correspond to 365 days in a year. That's right. So that there's okay. 365 birthdays in this hat. And then I'm going to take a sample from the hat of 25 birthdays. So I Why 25? Well, that's how many people were in the bar. Okay. So we've got to keep in mind what the original situation was. Let me clear, be clear on what you're going to do here, Peter. You're going to take out one and put it over here, take out another one and put it out here. How are we ever going to get two people with the same no, birthday if we take them out like no, that? If you did that, you'd end up with 25 different numbers and you'd never yeah. get it. So but what are we going to do? that's not the way it is in the bar because after you, you pick one person in the bar and you go to the person next to him, that person next to him is allowed to have that first guy's birthday. Okay. So in order to duplicate that situation, we got to put the numbers back in the hat. Okay. So you, so so you take one out and then you put it back in. But you got to write it down first because otherwise you don't remember what it is. You write it down until you have accumulated 25 of these birthdays that you have sampled out of the hat. And we still have 365 numbers in the hat each time. Exactly. Right. Okay. So that the probability of getting any one particular birthday remains unchanged from slip to slip. Or from draw to and that's draw. the way it really is Just in life? Just as it is when you, you would go from one person to the next, the probability of getting a given birthday uh, would, not be this, would, would not change when I go down the line of the people drinking their beer at the bar. You mean to say that, that the day I was born doesn't affect the day you were born? Not a bit. Okay. That's the way it is. Okay. So, so what do we have? All right, we collected the, the list of 25 uh, birthdays. Now we just got to look at this list here and observe whether or not there's any duplication among the numbers, whether you get any duplicate numbers. We just look at those 25 numbers and see if there's a duplication? That's right. Holy smoke. But that's only one, only one Only sample. one bar, yes. It's only one bar, only one yeah. simulated bar. So what do we do about it? So you do it again and again and again, repeating it many times. This can get to be pretty boring, pulling these numbers out of a hat, isn't it? Yeah, well, you do it on the computer. A computer! Fantastic! You mean to say we can make a computer draw numbers like this? Sure we yeah. can. Okay, so we do that maybe a thousand times. That's right. And the answer is very surprising. Okay, blow their minds. Tell them what the chances are that two or more people in a bar room will have the same Let's birthday. Let's see if I can remember this. What is it, like... Uh, well, it's more it's than... It's more than 50%. More than 50%. I had a figure of it somewhere. Yeah, it's more than 50%. Nobody's going to believe that until they actually see it. So actually, what we do in class is we start people at the very beginning. We go around the class and we say, everybody have a birthday in this class? Everybody's got a birthday. Okay, what's your birthday? April 13th. March 18th. December 8th. We go around the class and... Sooner or later, somebody says, bingo, and it's not after very many people. It might be after eight, it might be after 40, it might be after 50, it might be after three. But people see 
that indeed it doesn't take that many people for there to be duplicates. We just go around the classroom and ask. We just go around the classroom, just like that. And then, if that doesn't work, if that doesn't satisfy people, or in any case, you can proceed from there to the numbers. In That's the right. Hat. We show how we can first do it with real birthdays, then with those numbers in your hat, then with the numbers on the computer. But so Peter, Peter, it can't be that easy. Are you telling me that the new statistics? of resampling is that simple that to find out the probability that two people out of 25 will have the same birthday is no harder than putting numbers in a hat and pulling them out repeatedly? Well, that particular problem, yes. Now, statistics is not always trivially easy or simple. Sometimes you have to do some very hard thinking to analyze the problem. True, but let's stick with this one for the moment because this is a, a problem that's used all the time by probabilists and statisticians to baffle people and as an exam question in advanced courses. How can it be that you have to pay somebody $100,000 to be a statistician, they've got to get a PhD to learn all kinds of stuff to be able to handle that problem in that fashion? How can that be? Well, it's not easy when you can't do it by resampling. That's true. That's absolutely right. But it does boggle the mind that we are able to get answers to problems which have uh, stretched the capacities of mathematicians and statisticians for decades and decades and decades and forced them to use long, complex formulas when we can get answers to these problems and lead seventh graders to get answers to these problems in an hour, two hours, three hours. So it's been done with seventh graders, yes. Yes, indeed. Well, then something's puzzling me. Why? Uh why are people still out there using the same texts that they've used for 50 years and learning the same formulas and getting confused over looking up the numbers in the tables? Uh, um. Well, Peter, the, the question about why people who don't adopt better new ideas is a very difficult one, and it's not one that we're going to answer in this short video session. Uh, we should note, though, lest anybody get the idea that they're hearing entirely new and different ideas from us in this program, that over the past 15 years, the basic ideas of resampling have taken the world of mathematical statistics by storm worldwide, and that resampling is now the hottest new idea in statistics and probability all over the world. What's really new is that we are trying to bring these ideas back from the frontiers of mathematical statistics and put them in the hands of people who need to do statistics day by day as the tool of first resort and to give these tools to students so they're not turned off by statistics for life but are instead are able to take advantage of this powerful new device. But it is very important that our hearers understand that everything we're talking about the new statistics now is perfectly well grounded theoretically, perfectly well accepted by mathematical statisticians of all kinds now, though they themselves prefer to work on the esoteric new developments in it rather than on the basic foundations of how it can be used as a tool of first resort in daily life, business, medicine, personal life, what have you.
That's true. Because it's a powerful and extremely flexible tool, uh, it has caught the imagination of the researchers for those problems for which the conventional mathematical methods, which they know very well by now, are not suited so that its first application has been in those frontier areas. Yes, that's the history, actually. But can it, can it effectively be, be used in the classroom? Uh, you did some studies well, uh, some time ago. Of, uh, before I answer that, though, Peter, let me pick up on what you're just saying about the history. The history of resampling goes back to World War II and to what were known as Monte Carlo studies. Uh, picking up that label from the casino at Monte Carlo because they're like lotteries in a way. And when um, the operations researchers in the Army and the Air Force in World War II and afterwards were not able to arrive at answers to some difficult probabilistic problems with formulas, they instead turned to simulation methods. And that was the intellectual genesis of this new method. But you ask, do we have proof that this method works not just at the frontiers of knowledge, but also as an everyday tool? We sure do. We have PhD theses done in the 1970s even, before we had the advantage of the computer. We published these studies in the American Mathematical Monthly, the main line, number one mathematics journal, showing in controlled experiments how the same teacher teaching both conventional methods and resampling methods, the resampling class will get more problems correct, will like it much better. So we had those controlled experiments then. We have now had classes using these methods in middle schools, and in high schools, and in junior colleges, and in um, the Yeshiva Medical School you were showing me last week. I think it was. And in Stanford, at Stanford Stan Graduate School, we just got that, those marvelous evaluations showing how, in fact, the students graduate students at Stanford are saying, this is the way the statistics should be taught. So yes, we have rock solid scientific proof that this method works at first in the sense that people get the right answers to the problems that are on, on their agendas. And it works in the sense that people are drawn to it rather than turned away from it. What do you say to those teachers who say, well, this is a nice illustration, or this is a, this, these little demonstrations we have of resampling and simulating the answer, say, to the birthday problem. Those are good illustrations for a classroom, but they're not the real mathematics of going out and getting a true mathematical answer. And I know that teachers sometimes, if they don't say it, they may think that way. Yes. If you're not doing the heavy, th heavy lifting of the mathematics, for some reason you're not getting a good answer. That's right, we're not suffering. We simply walk right around all that suffering. <laughs> the suffering of the mathematics. Of the mathematics because it is unnecessary. This is a real problem. People who are brought up to do formulas don't give up their formulas so fast, unfortunately. People who have an old method never give up the old method very fast. The people who did hand looming, hand weaving, didn't give up their hand looms without a struggle when the power loom came along. Uh, people who had horses and buggies didn't give up their horses so fast when the automobile came along. Uh, so yeah, we, we have the, very human problems here in trying to get this tool into, into use 
and uh, into classrooms, and it's like pulling teeth. And as the key you know. criterion you have to to really look at are whether it gets the job done that you want to get done, not anything else. But number uh, one, whether it gets the job done in terms of right answers, right, but also gets the job done in terms of people understanding it and enjoying it, so they want to use it. That's right. Whereas we have. You know, millions of college students who've been so turned off statistics that they think of it like a fraternity paddling. The second they leave the course and close their book, forever, goodbye. And that's a terrible loss because statistics is one of the most powerful tools for good thinking available to humanity. Same thing is true in business. When, when, Same thing when in business. Deming tried to introduce the statistical methods here in the United States, uh, must be almost three decades now. It didn't take. It was like uh, water, uh, water off a duck's back, and he went to Japan, and they it did take there, mm -hmm. and uh, you see some of the results uh, in their industry. It's it, it it's it's tough, but uh, but again, let's let's just say it again and again that the new statistics of resampling, which handles all problems in statistics and probability, without formulas, without tables, without anything that you can't understand but instead handles all problems by making a set of symbols as alike the real life situation you're interested in as possible, and then doing experiments with those symbols. That this method is, first of all, is theoretically impeccable by now. Second of all, it gets you answers which, in terms of exactitude are as exact and as correct as you want to make them. Third of all, what's most important is you get the right answer rather than the wrong answer because you're not using the wrong formula. And fourth of all, because people are drawn to the method. They, they enjoy it. Actually. They enjoy it. They enjoy it. What else do we want to tell people today? Uh, well, we've covered some of the history and you've just talked about the scope of resampling as being uh, all-inclusive and that's because the treatment works for any problem in which you can specify the model that you're interested in. And we talked about how it's worked in the classroom that students by an 80% to 20% margin say they would recommend this to others. Students where? Well, students at all levels. It, uh, from graduate school down to seventh grade, from uh, secondary schools to Stanford to uh, St. John's University here in the UK. We've had a lot of experience by now that we can say with a fair amount of confidence that it does work in the classroom and that students uh, not only perform better, but they enjoy it more and they also uh, are more willing and inclined to be involved in statistics in the future, which is a very important test because we can't simply judge them on the basis of how well they do on a particular exam at the Absolutely. end of the course and then go on to forget about it. We also want to test them with real life examples, examples with real data, and not just pretend examples where, mm -hmm. where they say the mean of something is such and such, and the standard deviation is such and such, what's the something or other? We want to say, here's a real set of data, how would you think about them? How about another example, by the way? Let's, how about if you are a, um, um, a biogeneticist, and you think that you've got a way of making more, more calves be female than male, something which is a, of high economic interest to a lot of people, such as dairy farmers. Um, how about if, um, if I'm a dairy farmer in Holland and you're a biogeneticist? Okay, well, say I come in and the first thing I would do is 
to convince you, I would try it out on your uh, a series of uh, cows in your uh, farm. Okay, I've got 10 cows. Go ahead, Peter. Right, let's each, see what you can let's do. Say we get the next 10 births from these cows, and they these have all been subjected to my new treatment, and so that they should be producing. What are you doing? Tinkering around with the genes? Well, I'm not. I'm not saying right now. No. I'd, uh, Okay, this is a lot of money. I'm not going to disclose. Okay, this is this is the Bruce treatment of calves. Well, do something. All right, I'll tell you what it is. But uh, and I try it on ten of your cows, and of the next ten births, it turns out that seven are females. Seven. And only three are males. Well, I'm pretty impressed. So you ought to be sold by now. Absolutely, seven out of ten. When on the average, I'd only get five out of ten. That's right. And so you should you, I, you ready I to bet the whole farm on that? It's going to cost you a half a million dollars. Okay. okay. Well, it's going to cost I don't, half a million. How sure am I that this didn't happen just by chance? All right. Well, that's, that's a, what I want to know. That's an important question. How about if after I pay you and you take off and I run another ten cows, what's the chance that next time I'll end up I'll end up just as I would even if not even if just nature was taking? Well, you'd be better off finding out the answer to that before you fork over the half a million dollars. Okay, how should we go about it? Well, how could we find out? I'm not prepared to do this experiment again and wait the, 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 the gestation period that that would require to, to do another test. How could we find out? Well, you could hark back to the coins that we flipped for the, the girls, the three girls example, which was pretty much the same sort of situation. We have a series of not four births, but this time ten births, and it turns out that seven of them are female. So we have so ten, we ten births, seven female. Right. And you are flipping ten, so flip ten coins. coins instead of four coins. Forget about that example. That was a long time ago. We can't even remember about the other. The so we flip ten coins. Ten coins. And we observe how many of them come up heads because flipping a coin is close enough to the probability of getting a male or a female out of a It's not exact, but we'll let you do that. Okay, we'll let you say that it's All right, 50 so I've 50. flipped 10 coins, and then I simply count how many of them end up being heads. Mm -hmm. And I write that down and go on to do it again and again and again, because that's the whole thing that we're okay. trying to quantify here is how much it might differ from one to the X. So you flip 10 coins a whole bunch of times, say a thousand times, right. and what are you likely to get? Well, you're likely to find out that getting seven heads is not all that unusual. How unusual would you well, say? Do you I, know? I had it calculated out, but my guess would be 20, 30% of the time, we're uh, going to get seven heads. So you're saying 20, 30% of the time, we might get seven females, even if the genetic treatment exactly. has no effect the at all. The guy could come in with a uh, just put a sprig of alcohol on the cow's nose and proceed <laughs> okay. on. And okay. uh, uh, So what you're saying, if I understand you, Peter, is that I shouldn't be terribly convinced that this treatment really works because you run this statistical test using the resampling method and showing that it's not very unusual for us to get seven out of ten female calves just by chance. That's right. We have examined. So we, how, so we had better either do this experiment again and again and again to get some more evidence, or we had better find some experiments, or, or if, we'd, if we'd had an experiment where we had, say, got nine out of ten females or ten out of ten females, we would have been more impressed, wouldn't That's we? That's right. That would be far more impressive. That, that still happens by chance occasionally, maybe mm -hmm. two percent of the time. Uh, 
you'll get nine out of nine out of ten heads, but uh, much more rare than seven out of ten heads. And that'll allow you to make a judgment because in this whole question, you have to bring to bear how much the cost will be. You've got to bring into mm -hmm. the, the equation how much money you're being asked to put up and what your alternatives are. Could you run it again? Could you find out more information? So what you're saying is that by by modeling the situation of the 10 calves being born with the resampling method using, say, 10 coins or a computer flipping zeros and ones, we can see how unusual it is that we would get either 7 out of 10, if that's what we actually got in our experiment, or 9 out of 10. And based on how unusual it would seem to be from our simulation results, it gives us an idea of how impressed we should be by the real experimental results and therefore helps us make a decision about whether or not to invest some money in this new method. That's right. So this, this exemplifies how, with the new statistics of resampling, we can get answers to the problems in uncertainty. And those are some of the hardest thinking problems that occur in statistics and maybe in any mm -hmm. fields. And we have helped, helped tame that problem just in that one example, which in many other contexts can be extraordinarily difficult for people to understand. Even those who have been practicing in fields and doing these sorts of experiments still have a difficult time and have to approach it in a cookbook fashion. Mm -hmm. Well, we could go on and on and on all day and all night showing people these examples of how the resampling method gets straightforward answers to the problems and probability and statistics that we need to get answers to to get on with our business and our life, but that are so difficult to do with the old conventional methods. So what we want to do, I guess, is to invite people to learn more about the new statistics of resampling and to put it to work in their daily life and in their business and to um, move the world forward a little better, a little faster. Want more episodes like this? Don't forget to subscribe and get updates each week for the Free to Choose Media Podcast.